Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Alan Greenfield with us has been interested in the occult UFOs, strange animal sightings, paranormal occurrences, and phenomena like shadow people and the real men in black for most of his life. He's been an active investigator since the early 1960s, has traveled the world searching for the truth. Alan has twice been the recipient of the Ufologist of the Year Award of the National UFO Conference, and his research and writing have recently centered upon contacting angels and UFOs and beings by being specific occult spells and rituals. Alan, welcome back. How have you been? Uh, I've been just fine, George. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Good to have you with us, and I'm glad everything's good with you, too. With COVID, you never know. Well, yeah, that's true. In these troubled times, we may be on the brink of war, you know, not to scare anybody, but be alert. And, uh, you know, with COVID around, I'm spending a lot of time at home. But on the other hand, you know, that that inspires me to do writing and investigation stuff. So uh, it's uh, a mixed blessing, if you want to put yeah, it Yeah, all it is. You're a great writer, and uh, we're blessed to have you out there, Alan. Thank you. What are your thoughts on, you know, the government has been releasing information on UFOs claiming they don't know quite what they are. They have not come out and said they're extraterrestrials, but what's your take on this entire field these days? Oh, well, if we talk about it from the perspective of, you know, the the various government programs beginning with Project Sign in 1947 through Project Grudge, interesting name, and through Blue Book, and then this Navy investigation, et cetera, uh, the, the attempt to change the terminology the, for a second time. It was changed from flying saucer, which is a newspaper term, to, uh, to UFO, and now this UAP thing. A lot of people are going along with it. Actually, that term goes back to the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, uh, the late uh, Coral Lorenzen's uh, club out of uh, Tucson. Yeah. Which is where, yeah, they... Um, they used that term as early as the early 1950s. But the deal with me, and it's, it's kind of hard to explain otherwise, that I don't think the government has anywhere near as much information as the handful of people who are private persons who've been collecting data all over the world uh, for well, you mentioned I sound, made me sound a lot older than I, I hope that I am. But uh, uh, since 1960, I've been following this subject and related things, and uh, I think I know more than the government knows, with the single exception that some of the things that are uh, considered to be UFO cases are uh, developmental weaponry and. There's a lot of talk about that, and I don't really want to go there too much because if it's there, we probably need it. However, in terms of understanding what the phenomena as such is, it doesn't have anything to do with the government, and their programs have been so underfunded. I mean, uh, Blue Book was for uh, 15 years, I think, something like that, and uh, it consisted of... uh, a middle-level officer, an enlisted Air Force person, and a secretary. That's it. 
I mean, I've examined the Project Blue Book files at uh, where they're stored now, and uh, they don't have a good handle on what really is going on. On the other hand, I think a handful of private investigators uh, uh, have been able to uh, get much closer to the essential truth by uh, uh, by dedication more than anything else. We don't have the money that the government has, but they don't fund UFO research at, a, at any high level. They uh, it's a, a back burner thing, except you know their PR person who occasionally will defect to the, you know, it's it's a serious issue sort of thing. Uh, Al Chop was the, the classic person that, uh, he was the Pentagon monitor that uh, that sort of blew the whistle on Blue Book way back in the day. But, I mean, I, I have been, you know, monitoring the government research, hopeful, hoping that they would stumble onto something. The fact is, they don't know. And the, the people that are trying to get them... To reveal the truth, I think you get the truth more from moi than, than yep. from them. That's true. Absolutely. You wrote a book in 2018, and the title has always fascinated me, The Complete Secret Cipher of the UFO Knots. Tell me what that means. Well, I have to be careful with that because people have pronounced it UFO Nuts. So uh, we in in the trade, we call it Ufonauts. But, uh, yeah, that, that book has been... Uh, uh, on fire since uh, I was interviewed on the Hellier program. That uh, the TV show, right? Uh, yeah, it's a really polished uh, effort. It's, uh, it's a paranormal program. Uh, yeah, and uh, the people that that put that together really uh, they were inspired, I think, by my book, and in turn. Uh, maybe a little too inspired by it. And I, uh, they interviewed me in the second season, episode eight, was mostly a long, long interview with me. And, uh, and they seem to have followed pretty much, you know, the direction that I have uh, sent them in. But in the meantime, they have benefited me far more than I, my poor benefit to them because uh, the book was selling moderately uh, from my current publisher. But after that program, which was a sensation out there in the ether, uh, all of a sudden sales went to, you know, bestseller levels and has uh, remained very, very high. Um, the, the, the book was, I, I went down to my hometown, Augusta, Georgia. Boy, I fall into the accent when I say Augusta, Georgia. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah. No, about Augusta. That's where they play golf, among other things. Um, so I went down to Augusta to uh, uh, from Atlanta, where I am right now, uh, okay. to write that book. And it uh, it took me like two months, and a lot of things pulled together. The source is complicated, but I'll I'll give you the uh, the brief edition. Okay, uh, this the, the Cipher, the code, comes from the infamous Aleister Crowley's uh, Book of the Law, Liber al Legis, which is an occult book, <clears throat> and depending on how you look at it, it was either dictated by a Praetor Human Intelligence in 1904, the year my father was born, or it was uh, 
uh, Crowley's invention. It, it depends. I mean, I, I think it's been less subject to analysis than most uh, of the inspired uh, novels, if you will, of the late of the 19th century, starting with the Book of Mormon, and then you have El Hospi and the Urania book and the Book of the Law. Anyway, there was a code in there, but it, it, it self-edited in the sense that it said that Crowley would never be able to decipher it, and he apparently still tried over a period of years unsuccessfully. His uh, uh, magical son, uh, Frederick Hodd from Vancouver, Canada, uh, got a little bit further with it, establishing the first three letters as ALW, sometimes called the Azure Lidded Woman, uh, uh, ALW, Azure Lidded Woman, from the Book of the Law. Uh, code, and that was where it went until the 1970s. In in the mid 1970s, uh, a little British uh, group uh, that put out a magazine called the New Equinox, uh, inspired by their one of their people, Jim Lee's. Uh, went on a magical retreat. Now, I'm not sure about the details of what he was doing, but he came back and he had the, this cipher figured out. So we have to go across continents and time to the late William Wallace Webb, W.W. W. Webb, a man ahead of his time in many ways, and he uh, uh, sort of popularized it in outre occult circles for deciphering the, the, the hidden meaning of occult terminology and, and uh, uh, related matters. And uh, his uh, local person here in Atlanta was uh, the late Tim Coutte, who went way before his time. Yeah. And uh, uh, Tim uh, gave me a copy of his lexicon program, something he... Uh, uh, designed on a mainframe computer in upstate New York and brought with him to Atlanta. He gave, gave me a copy of it, and I thought, well, that's nice, decoding occult stuff. It's already very esoteric, so I'll try a couple of things. And it occurred to me, and this is like maybe late 1980s, early 90s. Uh, I'd have to look it up in my magical diary to see exactly when. But uh, I thought, well, you know, we have certain mysteries in ufology that might be worth looking at because periodically people claim to have been taken to planets that you never heard of with very, very strange names. And going all the way back to borderland research uh, in the 1940s, you have these trans-channeled purported beings uh, that... uh, had really, really strange names, like my favorite is uh, uh, Maharaja Nacha, which uh, was... uh, Where did they get those names? Well, that's what I wanted to know. You could just say, well, if they're making them up, they probably could come up with better names than Furkan and Ramu, you know, the two guys that just completely disappeared and took those as, as as their... uh, UFO names, and, uh, you know, it gets it gets pretty bizarre, but I decided, okay, I have this lexicon program. It purports to be a master uh, decoder for English language uh, decipherment of codes, 
let me see if it works on this. And uh, I used the lexicon program on, well, the book is filled with examples, but you could, if you know a name that, uh, like the one that you're probably familiar with, Indrid Cold, which is, uh, some say he's among us still. And the results were always uh, very, very on point. That is, they were consistent with the case that they were uh, associated with. Um, I'll give you a, a, a kind of example. Okay, the, the Simonton case, uh, where in, I believe in West Wisconsin, uh, where uh, Joe Simonton had purportedly had a meeting. This is not a case I personally investigated. I mean, I, there, but it's an interesting case. So he meets these aliens, and he makes uh, buckwheat pancakes for them. Gee, and they ate them? Uh, yeah, they, they ate them. But, of course, uh, you know, John Keel, who I knew quite well, uh, made the point that maybe these uh, elements like buckwheat pancakes are thrown in by the whatever they are, aliens, that uh, in order to make the case seem ludicrous. I, when I found mm. that, you know, where these beings say they're from, which, I, you know, maybe it's the truth, but that is more likely to be either symbolic, as in, uh, Whitley Stryber figured out, or, uh, or it's a decoy, because, you know, if they come from where they say they come from, you're dealing practically with impossibilities. Uh, like, the, the good example is Sirius. Uh, Sirius is a hot young star, and while it may be a point of reference in the sky of importance, it's the brightest star in the sky, um, as seen from Earth. It's a very hot star, not known for its planetary bodies. It's a binary, too, isn't it? Yes, it's binary, and maybe even, what is the term for three suns revolving around one another? Trinary? Trinary, it's got to be. Yeah, probably, uh, or they have some fancy term, and astronomy is not my, <laughs> not my thing. I do I investigate the cases on the ground. We'll get to that, but uh, my my feeling is it's too young a star to be the source of any of these things. So you you have to ask yourself: are are the messages deceptions, or are they accurate? Well, there's a lot of talk that we're. Uh, uh, among scientists, that we're making a big mistake trying to contact alien life forms in other solar systems, if there are any, because they may come here and do what uh, the Spanish did to uh, the Mayans, uh, which is basically destroy them. And uh, uh, that is the history of advanced technology cultures meeting what they regard as inferior cultures. And and then the Mayans bring disease with them? Well, no, the Mayans didn't, but the Spanish brought, uh, let's see, bubonic plague, syphilis, and a, an assortment of other yeah, things. Yeah, they, they brought that to the Mayans, right? Yes. They, now, in fairness, they didn't do that deliberately. It's not like in World War II where the, they were giving out, uh, the Nazis were giving out blankets that had uh, typhoid uh, on it. And on it, that's right. 
and there was also with uh, Native Americans given blankets with uh, some horrible disease. On it's that was deliberate and wrong, in my opinion, uh, very wrong. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, it's probably true that the Spanish of the 1500s had no clue as to what the sources of these diseases were. Actually, the uh, the great uh, North American culture that existed pre-Columbian, uh, the, the, the destruction of that was partly from diseases that spread up from Central America and Mexico, from Mesoamerica, and had devastated the Aztecs, the Toltecs, the Mayans, and the, the Zapotecs, and all of those really interesting and advanced civilizations that... Uh, that are intriguing in and of themselves. There was a fairly advanced, developed, and it seems influenced by those Mesoamerican civilizations here in North America. The thing is that by the time uh, the Puritans landed, it had totally disappeared, and there's no mystery about it. The Spaniards brought pigs to Mexico. A certain percentage of pigs went wild, and they thrived, just just as uh, I don't know the buffalo did, uh, the bison. Um, but they were native to America, as were horses, as were camels. Surprisingly enough, they were extinct by the time you know long before uh, Europeans got here. But uh, that, this is where they came from, apparently, uh, according to the uh, the experts, uh, and. Uh, there was uh, the mound culture, they called the Mississippian culture, was extremely advanced and had uh, the. Was it extraterrestrial, in your opinion? Let's say non terrestrial. Uh, we'll go there. It, it had all of these cultures had a big, big interest in the stars and the seasons. You say, well, they were agricultural people, so of course they were interested in the seasons. It goes beyond that. All over the world, these early cultures that were advanced seem to want to know what's going on in outer space. So you can make of that, you know, what you will. I think uh, that there were uh, these were very clever people, and they apparently uh, took advice, as uh, Werner von Braun once said to me. We got advice. I didn't go any further. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.